All right, good day, everybody. This is Perez B, a.k.a. The Rev. Got some very interesting questions. Last week, uh, off the air, a, um, a young parent, as are many of the people in the J-Root audience, and um, some very interesting questions that come up. You know, we all deal with situations at home, in business, relationships, and it's so important to be able to get the right connection, the right advice, and to go to the right person. And that sometimes requires a specialized professional training. Sometimes it's a rabbi, sometimes it's a friend, sometimes it's a coach, myself, and sometimes it's just other people that have been down the pike in a situation like that. Let's say, for example, a parent is having a difficult time disciplining a child. Like I was speaking to someone yesterday, and we were talking about uh, one of the children. This is something which has come up in many conversations with, let's say, uh, an older sibling. We're not talking about teenagers. We're talking about young kids, three, four, five years old, uh, where the older sibling is just dominating and either will act out, as it were, <clears throat> whatever their particular aggressive mode is on a younger child, either a sibling, a brother or sister, or, or a, uh, a playmate in a group where the child will just, uh, in order to get his or her way, strike the other child, and they'll think that that's acceptable behavior. And sometimes a parent will just say, oh, she's only a kid or he's only a kid, whereas another parent will say, as I was speaking to somebody uh, yesterday, who was telling me that when her child behaves that way, they say, mommy does not allow you to hit. Daddy does not allow you to hit. You cannot hit, and you go to your room, and they'll stay there for a few minutes. And after a number of times, the child gets the message that hitting is not going to be rewarded. In fact, it's going to be punished. At any rate, that's you know, the type of thing where sometimes experience is the best teacher. Um, and I think what I'd like to do is open up the lines at some point to problems that come up where without revealing the identity of the person that's calling who might be calling me off the air or after the show or on my online coaching line, that we then bring up the question. I guess kind of like what, uh, what Mordecai Weinberger does, we'll have a question of the day and then you throw it out. So we, we can do something like that as well, where there's a particular issue and we talk about it and without revealing who was obviously raised the question, throw it out to people in the audience who might have been through similar experiences and can then talk about it. Uh, let, let's see, for, for example, let's say that um, you irritated somebody in your family. Let's say you're irritated, and not you, but right, let's say somebody irritated uh, a spouse. And now, for one reason or another, they just stop talking to each other for a day. Now, that's one of the worst things anybody can do. You know that story about a, uh, uh, a husband who gets very upset with his wife, and he decides that's it. He's not talking to her for that day. And he's so upset, and this is really, you know, it's one of the worst things anybody could do. But um, he has a very important meeting. He has to leave on a plane early the next morning, and he writes his wife a note, um, have to be at the airport 7 o'clock, uh, wake me at, uh, at 5. And I think he said, please, in the note, he writes the note, right? Leaves it on her night table, but of course he's not speaking to her. Next morning, um, he wakes up an hour late, and he misses his plane. And now, you know, he's really upset. And he looks at his night table, and there's a note from his wife saying, it's 6 o'clock, wake up. <laughs> and 
down meter connected meter. And not only does it not pay off and come back, you know, in uh, in various in various ways to a person, but it's just not the right thing to do. So, did you ever run into a situation like that where you had a communication problem, and if you would have just spoken it out, it would have been better? You can reach me at seven one eight six eight three five eight five eight, or on my uh, open line coaching line eight four eight two two one four six zero five or EICHLER Media. I received a beautiful email from. Rabbi Spiro this morning and his inspiration daily, which talked about the tragedy that happened in Erzisro on that bus, where everybody was looking for a culprit, a villain to blame it on. And one realizes that um, as of now, we understand there was no culprit, there was no villain. It was something that happened that uh, was due to a human error, a human mistake. Whatever the reasons were, nobody you could attribute it to, and a person finally realizes. It's beyond Hashem, as we realize everything is beyond Hashem. And it has to bring us to a higher level of understanding and sensitivity to realize that when something happens to somebody in Kali Israel, it happens to each and every one of us. Those people that are on that bus, it was Paskin for them on Rosh Hashanah that it was going to be. We, we're here today. But, you know, after 120, all the times are going to come. Everybody has to go for the Tekiah Samaisen. person has to die in order to experience the Tekiah Samaisen, right? So we're all going to have our time, unless you're Rabbi Yonavi or Rabbi Shua ben Levi went up straight to Shemayim. So everybody has to realize we hear, we have to make the most of our time, empathize with those who are cousin who has, has taken at any given moment, and realize that we're all here a very short time, and not to get wrapped up in the frivolities of the world, the stupidities. What's my next car going to be? Where's my next vacation going to be? What's my next deal going to be? You ever meet the people in that? It's different deal to deal to deal to deal to deal. And I mean, even in Ozra community, you can just get out of hand. person just gets so wrapped up. Yeah, I got the show. I got my turn. I got my this. There's money, 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 money. Yeah, I got to do this. I got to do that. Ooh, and you think you're going to live forever. Remember, my friends, life is a limited time offer. This is Barrett's B, the Rev, a.k.a. the Rev. The Rev with the cause, and the cause is you. Licensed by the state of awareness to live life to its fullest. Thanks for joining the revolution. What's on your mind today? What's on your heart? What are you thinking about? What would you like to hear about? What would you like to talk about? Seven one eight six eight three five eight five eight. I have not been watching the, uh, the debates. I just felt that there were much better uses of time. But I did succumb and watched a snippet of the Republican debate. And I have to tell you, whatever I thought it was, whatever I imagined in terms of buffoonery, stupidity, uh, immaturity, the puerile, immature nation, nature, and absolute emptiness of um, the level of some of the candidates was astonishing to me. These are the people that we are considering running these great United States of America. The lowness of remarks, the... Um, the demeanor of some of the people. And he, the, the man who's out front may be a successful businessman, but to me it's only an indication of that uh, success comes from a cottage barco. How does such lack of refinement of, 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 um, of demeanor, how, how does that suit someone associated with the President of the United States? Popularity? I mean, and then some of the remarks that were made, I mean, it looked like a circus. And it's interesting, without having heard that described like that, that's my first thought was, I don't know if any of you old, remember, old enough to remember this, and you probably didn't watch it anyway, but when I was a kid growing up, they, they used to have uh, wrestling matches. 
And, and it was a time where, you know, people who didn't know better sat in front of a, a boot tube and they'd, they watched these wrestling matches, or you could go and watch them live. Now, they were all fixed. Everybody knows they were fixed, but it was made to look like it was real. And, and um, the fixed part is not, one, not part of the analogy, but the buffoonery of it. I mean, it was just so openly stupid and crude and ridiculous. And that's what watching this segment of the debate reminded me. I mean, the audience itself, the way they booed and they cheered and stuff like that, it was like watching just a bunch of buffoons who were dressed up in nice clothing in a sophisticated environment, just a bunch of, you know, well, what can I say? It was just shocking to me to think that this is where we're holding in terms of uh, electing someone that's going to run as the chief executive officer of, of this country in which we reside. It was shocking to me. And did you have a thought about it? You can reach me at seven one eight six eight three eight five eight five eight. And this idea of you know the Jewish factor, where you have a Jewish candidate who may not claim to be Jewish, or uh, you know be proud of Jewishness, but he is Jewish. And then you have you have uh, Mr. Trump, who has a, uh, an allegedly Jewish, supposedly based on on many reports, uh, a Jewish um, daughter that converted, married to somebody who is bona fide. Jewish, or, you know, I know the family. Many of you do. Or, or the Clintons, the Shemi Rachem, where their daughter, and there's nothing to be proud of, is married to a Jew. So there's a lot of Jewish stuff that's going on in this. Don't kid yourself. Everything that happens in the world is because of Unzer Heber, because of Am Yisrael. But it's very distressing to watch what's going on. And you can't help but think of it as some type of three-ring circus that's going on. Are you distressed by it? Do you have feelings about it? Do you have thoughts about it? Now, how do you feel about it as a committed, thinking Jewish man or woman? You can reach me at 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. This is the Rev. How are you? Good morning. Hello. Hello, hi. Hi, is this the radio? Um, well, this is Paris Perakhaipuri on the radio. I don't think of myself I'm as, on the radio. as a conduit on it. But you are on the radio, yes. What can we do for you this morning? Uh-huh. Um, I'm confused. I thought this was the pizza store. Oh, well, I'm Paris Eichler. Nice to talk to you. Thanks. Okay. Guy was confused. He thought it was the pizza store. Okay. Next. Hi. How are you? Great. Okay. Well, I hope he gets a slice of pizza. It's a little early in the morning for me for pizza, and I do hope he enjoys it. Um, it's really interesting. I wonder why somebody would call a radio station and do something like that. And, you know, you have to wonder about people's mitos sometimes. The Kazanish says that um, don't be dismayed when people behave in a certain type of way because most people are of unrefined mitos, unrefined mitos. And... Uh, I hope you're not like that, and I guess it's one of the reasons we always have to be working on Amidos. At any rate, if you have a thought about anything that we just mentioned in the opening of the broadcast about communicating with a spouse or a child or a, or a friend or a, uh, a business associate and how maybe opening up a line of communication might, might be helpful and uh, situations that you might have been in like that, or your take on what's going on in the current presidential campaign and how you feel about it. And uh, how you think a thinking, committed Jew should be behaving at this point? Our number is seven one eight six eight three five eight five eight. One thing I have to 
we have to focus on Kedusha, on sanctity, which is what all of us should be doing. Hi, Peretz B. Good morning. Thank you for joining me. Hi. Oh, hello. Hi. I, I, it's very interesting. I, I just want to say I like the radio station. <laughs> I listen to it all the time. Thank you. Of course. That was very kind of you. Okay, that was very lovely of somebody to do that, just to say something like that. So I guess there are people who are refined meters. But if you really have something that you'd like to talk about, my talk lines and listen lines are open right here on JRoot, 718-683-5858. So we have to focus on sanctity and Kedusha, on elevating ourselves. You know, when I was growing up, and I guess I'm dating myself, you may remember something called the Harvard Lampoon. To them, nothing was, was holy. There was no such thing as untouchable ground. They took a pot shot at everything. But we know that we have to be elevated and live in an elevated manner. And people look to us when they see a person that's a member of the, uh, the Jewish faith, particularly somebody who's a member of the Orthodox Jewish community. They look at us in a certain type of way. They expect a standard. And I can't say we always deliver, but, you know, we try. When you walk outside, you are a, an ambassador of the Torah community. A Torah institution has to focus on sanctity. It says, and you should make holy garments and iron your brother, for on your brother, for the covenant of Sepharis. That's a beautiful thing to think about, not for our own glory of covenant, but for the glory of Kaddish Baruch Hu. You are a walking potential Kiddush Hashem. Hi, how are you? Good morning. Hi, good morning. Hi, what's on your mind? Yes, I was thinking about the question they asked also. That's a great how thing. Come the fact the... That with thinking is already a good start. Yes, regarding to what he asked before, that uh, we see that the Yidin got Moshe Rabbeinu, and the Goyim had the Tanah that they didn't have a Novi, so they got the Bilam. Right. So the question is, they still have a complaint. We got Moshe Rabbeinu, and they got Bilam Arosha. Good point. So the answer was that the Manik is the whole power of the nation that combines in, in a manic, and then they see who, who they are really, the, the people that, that uh, got together to bring out this manic. Right. So in other words, uh, when people vote some, you see also who, which crowd are voting for them, what That's their intention and what, what their emitters are. So you're saying, you're saying a very interesting cloud, by the way, that who the people pick is not even so much a reflection of who the candidate is, oh. but who the people are. Oh, right? yes. Who the people he, He's uh, replacing the, the, this, these type of people. Well, that, and, and it says, you know, the, in the generation before Mashiach, the door is going to reflect the face of a dog, of a caliph. And, oh. you know, it's like a leader often reflects who the people are themselves, meaning when you see a dog running ahead of its master, he might think the dog is leading the master, but the truth is it's always looking behind him to, you know, to see what the, what, what the master is, is looking for. And a lot of times somebody looks like he's a leader, but he's just looking behind to see what the people want. So if some of these buffoons are out there, that must mean that's a reflection of who the people are that are voting for them. Beautiful insight. I want to thank you for that. Thanks for Hi, calling thanks. the broadcast. Thank you. I, I have to say there are people who do who do come off in a, I, I would say, in at least a dignified way, may not agree with everything they say, 
and I'm not advocating this particular candidate because I don't really know all the details yet. Right, a lot of this is still going to come out, but I, I can tell you that I did meet Senator Ted Cruz in Washington at a congressional tribute, and in a few brief moments where we had uh, the opportunity to, to talk privately in the midst of this whole crowd, but we had a, a short but meaningful conversation. I did see, if I dare say it, like I say, a certain mental height. Now, we know what Perviova says, beware of the government because they're only there when they need you. So I don't put any politician above that. But at least in terms of the way we can perceive somebody who has some type of dignity and menschlichkeit about him, I mean, when I looked at this uh, previous debate, I would say that Mr. Cruz and Jeb Bush came across with demeanors that were at least stately and dignified to the degree that you might expect a, a statesman, a person that's going to be the head of a country might deport themselves with. But I didn't see that in most of the other people. Although Mr. Uh, you know, Mr. Rubio is certainly a fine person, but I don't know if he has the maturity politically to be able to achieve that status. And Dr. Carson, a remarkable human being, but didn't seem to have the, the um, I don't want to say charisma, but the personality that would be requisite to command the authority and respect and course of action that a president needs. And that's too bad, because he is a remarkable person, a great contributor to society. At any rate, if you've got a thought on that and how you feel about where it's going and where it might go, uh, give me a call at 718-683-718-683-5858. Right here on J. Root, the station that does listen to you. We're here for you. This is Perez B., a.k.a. The Rev. Thank you for joining the revolution. So... It says in the Pusik, you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for honor, the covered of the Sepharis, and you shall speak to all who are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of Kachma wisdom, that they make Aaron's garments to sanctify him, that he shall serve me. Okay, now, my good friend Rabbi Pliskin says that if you look at this Pusik, it begins by saying that the purpose of the Big Day Kahuna, the priestly garments, was for what? For honor and beauty. But Moshe was told to relate to the people who would make the garments that they should have the intention in mind that the garments were for sanctifying the Kahanim and to serve a Kaddish Baruch Two different, or apparently different things, no? So Rabbi Yehuda Leblach explained like this. The, the garments of the Kahanim had very, very deep, profound, spiritual and mystic symbolism. And they were given to the Kahanim, they were to give to imbue the Kahanim with a special sanctity, kedusha, and relationship to Hashem. Now, for this reason, they had to be made precisely the way a Kaddish Baruch commanded. It wasn't necessary for this that they should be beautiful in the eyes of men. That wasn't the requisite. But we know that human nature demands that something which has great importance should also be externally beautiful. That's the way, that's the way it is. That's the way people are. That's the way Hashem made it. That He made our nature that when you see something that's important, it should be. It should be attractive in some type of way externally. And people's feelings toward things are greatly influenced by external appearances. You might have noticed that, right? One of the reasons it says that a Tamachachim Tokuk should Kabaro, his inside should be like his outside, 
the outside should reflect the inside as well. It doesn't always mean it's like that, but you will notice that the Hadras Panam that a Talmud Chacham has, or Nashus Kyle has, the people who are generally, generally beautiful inside, most of the time there is something on the outside which indicates that. And I don't talk, I'm not talking about physical beauty necessarily, but there is something, a physical manifestation of that beauty, a certain, certain type of chen that Hashem gives a person. And the person is imbued with it because there's something internal, something very beautiful about that person. At any rate, that's why it was necessary for the garments of the kahanim to be beautiful. That is the reason behind the, the covered with deferis that stayed in the Pusset. Even though, even though Hashem wanted the garments to be for the honor and beauty and commanded Moshe to make them that way, Nevertheless, Moshe was told not to mention this to the Chachamim who would make the garments. That shouldn't go into their kavana. It's an amazing thought. They were just told to make the garments to sanctify and serve Hashem. That's all they had to be thinking about. Those who do the actual sacred work should have an elevated mental attitude. If, let's say, they would have in mind that the garments were to be beautiful in the eyes of other people, that, that would diminish from their more elevated thoughts. And that, said Rabbi Bloch, has practical ramifications for those who are involved in spiritual matters, which I, we, I hope we all are, right? Though it's necessary to do some things for physical beauty, you've got to make it look shtatsi and nice, the main focus is not the shtatsi kind, the nice kind. The main focus for those who are running a Torah Moisan institution should be on sanctity and spirituality. Ruchnius, Kedusha, Kedusha, and Ruchnius. And sometimes we get caught up in the opposite. If it's an end in itself, it's wrong. If it's a means toward an end, toward fostering Kedusha and Ruchnius, then it's a good thing. What do you think about that? You like the idea? You're bouncing it around? 718-683-5858. What about timing and wording in terms of correcting somebody? You know, we all have faults, in case you didn't notice, and we all notice faults in other people. Sometimes we recognize them more readily than we do the faults in ourselves. But the timing and wording of the correction are very key factors in those words being accepted. And you see it in the partial also. These are the, the begotten uh, that they shall make. There should be a chayshin, an effort, a knitted tunic, a turban, a belt, Make them sacred, as sacred garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, so that shall be, they shall be kahanim, the kahanim, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to me, Hashem says. Okay, now I want you to listen to this, and then I want you to call me and tell me what you think about this. Okay, now, just sit back for a moment. If you're in a car, try and pull over. It's going to require some concentration. Just listen to these words for just one moment. And again, my good friend Rabbi Fiskin makes a, a very telling point. That is a Gemara in Shabbos. You can look it up. It's on Daf Lamed Aleph Amid Aleph, or ask somebody to look it up for you. That tells the, the following. It relates that there was a non-Jew that once passed behind a base medrash, and he heard the voice of a teacher who was reading the Pusik. And um, he asked some people on this, on this Pusik, Right, that we just said now. It said, 
that the um, the garments that they shall make a, a breastplate, a nephew, a and a robe, and neither tunic, a turban, a belt, make them so as sacred garments for Aaron your brother and his son, so that they shall be kahanim to me. So now this non-Jew heard this being taught in the base measures, and he asked the people, "Oh, who wears such garments?" Because he was really impressed. So they told him the coin guttle. That's what they said. So this fellow, who wasn't Jewish, said to himself, you know what? I'm going to go convert. I'm going to misguide to Judaism, and then I'm going to become the coin guttle and get to wear those garments. So he went over to Shammai and he said to him, convert me to Judaism on the condition that I should become the coin guttle. Shammai considered his request to be very hospitable, and you can imagine, just pushed him away. You know, what are you, too crazy? What are you talking about? You can't do that. See, I don't know if he said, are you crazy? But, I'm, you know, he wasn't very delicate about it. He then went over to Hillel, that is this, this potential gear, with the same condition. And guess what? Hillel agreed to convert him. But listen to what Hillel tells him. For a person to be appointed a king, he has to be knowledgeable about the rules and regulations that apply to being a king. So you have to first study Torah before you can become a kind Gadol. Now, there's a tremendous chakma inherent in this, because Hillel obviously knew what the outcome would be with the proper study. So when the person came to the study, and the, and the stranger who does the service shall die, he asked, well, who does this apply to? And Hillel replied, this applies even to David Melech Yisrael. What? Even to Dublin Melech Israel? So the, the, the Ger said the Jews are called children to a Kaddish Baruch. And because of a Kaddish Baruch's love for them, they're called his Bechoros, firstborn. Nevertheless, if they're not of the Mishpacha Kahuna, they're guilty of a very serious offense if they do these avoiders, the avoider of the Kain Gadol. And now, being a person who thinks things out and reasons things out, all the more. So uh, me, Kalva Chaimri, made in his mind, who just recently joined Am Yisrael, cannot do the service that was forbidden to King David. And then the Ger went on to praise Hillel for his wisdom and his patience. And from this, my friends, we see a very, very important principle in dealing with what might be obviously unreasonable requests and demands of others. And this is something you can put in your pocket, take it with you, and use it today. Some people feel that when somebody makes a mistake, they got to immediately correct them. Oh, what'd you do that for? But timing and making corrections is crucial. If you tell a person something that they're not ready to hear, you may very well fail to have the positive effect that you could have had if you were only to wait patiently. Timing is everything. Just be aware of your goal when you want to correct somebody. When you have the other person's best interest in mind, you're not, going to, you're not going to blurt out your criticism at, at him or her. First, you're going to ask yourself, right? Think about this, and I want you to ask yourself this next time it happens. What is the best way for me to reach this person? How should I word my comments to him? When will he or she be most receptive to hear what I have to say? And I don't mean when they're sleeping, right? You can easily blame the recipient of your words of correction for being resistant. They don't want to grow. They don't want to hear. You don't want to grow. You don't want to make yourself better. But if you really want to help somebody grow, 
give a lot of thought to how and when you should make your suggestions. Rav Ezra Atiyah, the Rosh Hashiva Par Yosef, understood people very well, and he knew the points to focus on in order to influence somebody to improve his behavior. Once the father of one of his students was Nifter, and the Rosh Hashiva went to visit him during the Shiva period. The brother of the student worked in a store that was open on Shabbos, and this led to his working on Shabbos. And he asked Rabbi Tia, out of the respect of Avelis, I should really not shave for 30 days, but the, the owner of the store probably won't allow me not to shave for 30 days, and he told me he might lose his job. Is it permissible for me to shave during the Shloshim period? Now listen, listen to what Rabbi Tia did. He raised his voice and shouted at the fellow who asked the question. You might have thought exactly the opposite. He said in a, in a, in a very intense tone, it is not enough that you sold your religion. Now you want to sell your father when you shave during the morning period? You're shaming your father, Yahweh. Now listen to this. He had to decide, is he going to treat him with kid gloves? Or is he going to do something that's going to shock him into reality? Upon hearing this, and he had to know who the person was, right? He was taken aback. The mourner was taken aback and replied, I won't sell my father. I won't. I won't shave. Even if I even have to lose my job because of honoring my father. You realize the emotional impact it made? The timing. The where, the when, the how. Rabbi Atiyah then turned to a student and said to him, don't allow your brother to desecrate the honor of your father. Lend him money in order that he should be able to open his own store. You hear this? He didn't just say, no, go risk your job. He told his brother, lend him the money to be able to open up his own store. And that way he'll be able to observe Shabbos. And he will no longer sell his religion to his father. He gave him the Pesach, he gave him the means, and he took the Acharias responsibility to help. They followed his recommendation, and the brother became a Shomer Shabbos. you got to think about this. The how, the where, the when, the who, and then stepping up to the plate, or having the places would be better to put it that way, to make sure that the obstacle would be removed from the person, so that they would be able to have an easier entry, a low barrier, as they call it in some industries, to go and be able to come Shomer Shabbos. What do you think of that story? Have you encountered anything like that? How do you think you might apply it? Do you have a challenge now where you might want to apply it? Call me, 718-683-5858. I don't claim to know everything, but you can talk to me about anything. Licensed by the State of Awareness, based on the Shem to live life to its fullest. My coaching line is open at 848-221-4605. For questions about private coaching, you can reach me then, or D-I-C-H-L-A-R media at gmail.com. And you can reach us right here on JRoot right now, 718 683 We'll do a little music before we close. We'll stop the music if and when you decide you want to call. We'll be back to you right away. 718-683-5858. It's ever on your mind or your heart. Parrots B, a.k.a. The Red. Thanks for joining the Revolution here on J-Root. All right, Ron, we'll take a little music. We'll be back if uh, anybody would like to talk. And we'll be back with a closing remark. 718-683-5858. Thanks for joining the Revolution on J-Root. Yes, I 
המליכו ויאמרו. יחד כולם אוידו והמליכו ויאמרו. אוידו והמליכו ויאמרו. יחד כולם אוידו והמליכו ויאמרו. אוידו והמליכו ויאמרו. יחד כולם אוידו והמליכו ויאמרו. Uh, Anil Mir, a term used in the Gemara, we see it in Kofdalad and Erechen, 
actually refers to somebody that's humble. It looks like it's an expression of uh, of being, um, what should I say, arrogant, but it's not. It's really an expression of, of humility. But we know people that are arrogant, right? And we've seen them as we're talking about the political debates. There is a certain uh, one particular candidate who doesn't hide his arrogance. In fact, is proud of it. Not exactly the type of quality you would want in any human being. In fact, it's hated by Hashem. Maybe it's a bluff, maybe it's not, but we don't even want to give the, um, the impression of arrogance. You know, even a, a, a tiny bit of arrogance, when it means standing up for what's right, yeah. But being arrogant, no. But being proud of doing Hashem's will, that's not being arrogant. That's a, a, a pride in, in who you are and who you represent and what your mission is in life. And we should be proud of doing Hashem's will. And you see it in the Parsha, where it says, Kaddish Baruch commands us, make a forehead plate, a tzitz, zahav, tahor, pure gold, engraved on, uh, on it in the same manner as a signet ring, Kaddish Mashem, attached twist of sky blue wool to it that is going to be worn right near the front of the, of the turban that the, um, the kind of wears, the mitznefis. Now, from where in here do you see that a person should be proud of doing a Kaddish Baruch Ratzin? So I turn to my good friend, Rabbi Zalik Fliskin, who points out again, the turban which is on top of the, the coin's head, what did that do? It was machaper, the tone for arrogance and conceit, two despicable traits. But there is a time and a place for pride and when is that? That's when a person is proud to do the Ratzon Hashem. That's alluded to in a verse when pride is Kodesh Hashem. Then it can be on top of a person's head. They see you in a, in a meeting and somebody uses a, a, uh, a word which is inappropriate and makes a, an off-color joke. And instead of you just going, ha, 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 just laughing, like, oh, yeah. Um, meanwhile, you're feeling bad inside. You get up and you walk out. We say, I find that remark to be... Um, really crude, and I, I would appreciate it if you don't use it again. Oh, what are you, goody two-shoes? I'm sorry, I'm a member of this uh, company. I'm also somebody here who uh, has standards, and if you choose to use that type of language, um, you'll have to do it without me. I don't know if you have to go that far. But I can tell you, once I was in a meeting, I'm not saying this to toot my own horn, I'm not saying that I always have the courage to do it. But I was meeting a, a very high level, particularly high level executive of a company that I had traveled quite a distance to meet with the intentions of positioning myself as somebody who would uh, be working within, um, within some of the endeavors of this person, some of his enterprises. And this guy, supposedly, and by his outward appearance, was somebody who was um, a member of, uh, would, have been, would have been identified as. As a, as a religious person, I'm sure in, in many ways he was. And maybe what he said was not something that he realized was something which was antithetical to a person that maintains some type of religious standards from, the, from a Jewish perspective. And there were some remarks that he made, uh, which, as I was sitting there, I said, you know, forgive me, but I would appreciate it if you don't use that type of language in front of me. And he looked at me and he said, well, if you're not ready to hear that, or to use it, maybe you're not in the right business. So what was I going to say? I mean, 
here I was representing somebody um, in the business, and he was at a high level in the business. And I'm talking about how I feel, you know, uh, I can be an asset. So what did I do? What do you think I did? I'll tell you what I did. I said, um, no, I don't think I'm in the wrong business. I'm in the right business. And I don't believe that it's for you to tell me or anybody else whether in the wrong business or not. I did come for advice. I did come to put forth my credentials, which I feel speak um, for themselves when, when they're seen and viewed in the proper light. But I don't feel that I have to sit here and listen to that type of language. And uh, if you can't respect that, then quite frankly, I'll just get back on the plane and just head right back now, and it was worth it just to learn this for myself. He said, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, sit down. And, uh, you know, he, he recanted and then even, you know, offered me uh, another meeting. You know, I think he realized the, the wrongness of his ways. I don't know if everybody would do that. He would react that way. Other people might, you know, just behave in a way that they feel that's too bad. Anyway, when you're proud of your Torah values, you'll not be ashamed of who, and this is even if others who don't appreciate them will mock or insult you, and I hope that doesn't happen. But if it does, know you're getting a big medal from a Kodesh Gaiva is a trait that's detrimental to one's rookness development, causes many difficulties when dealing with other people. When you're proud of doing misses, mice and toyer and misses, you're going to be motivated to do good. So be good and do good, think good. You can reach me on my coaching hotline, 848-221-4605. Listen to us on J-Root, become a sponsor, become a, an advocate of J-Root. Stand up, be counted. Remember, in the words of Hill, the rest is commentary. Now go and learn.